Come with me here to Acts 13, verse 38. Let me set this up. Paul, the guy who wrote much, much of the New Testament, he's on a missionary journey. He's in a place called City in Antioch. And he goes to the synagogue and he preaches the sermon in the synagogue. He reads from the Old Testament and he begins to tell the Jews in the synagogue, hey, everything I'm reading about, all the promises y'all have been reading for generations and generations, I want you to know they have come true. That God has kept every one of those promises in his son, Jesus Christ. And he was killed, he was hung on a cross, but to fulfill everything that God has promised to us, every single thing, he did not stay dead, but God raised him from the dead, he says in verse 30. And I want you to know that, that through his death and resurrection, things have dramatically changed for you and I. And then he comes to the crescendo, the, the punchline of the sermon, the best part. This is Acts 13, 38, he says this, therefore, my friends, I love that, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. What's striking to me, if you'll leave that up there on the screen for a moment, what is striking to me is that in this sermon, one of Paul's very first that we know of, he is already talking about the thing he is going to spend the rest of his life trying to explain to us. That's this thing that we call justification, which is a big fancy word. I'm going to explain it here in just a minute. But already at the very beginning of his ministry, he is preaching and talking about the thing he's going to write about in Romans, in Galatians, and 1 Corinthians, in Timothy, and Titus. Pretty much every time he puts pen to paper or opens his mouth to preach, this is what it's about, a justification you can now have that you were not able to obtain before. So what is that big big fancy word. Today, what I'm going to try to do is make something that's mysterious and grand and wonderful, as simple as I can, so that God may be glorified in our short time together. What is justification? Well, if you'll leave that up there for one more minute, there's, there's two clues here in the passage. One is it must have something to do with sins. You see that? The forgiveness of and freedom from sins. Justification has something to do with that. And then secondly, there's that phrase after the word justification. You are not able to obtain it. Which means if I now have something that I didn't earn myself, I didn't work hard for to receive like wages, if I have something that I didn't earn, it must come to me how? By grace, by a gift I didn't earn. So somehow justification has to do with those two things sin and grace. N.T. Wright put it like this. If you're a note taker, you might write this in your Bible. He said this, no sin, no need for justification, and no grace, no possibility of it. If you're a note taker, you might write that down. I was trying to explain justification to my boys over breakfast the other morning. They're nine and seven and four. It was a tough conversation. And uh, there was a lot of just kind of empty stares into their Fruit Loop bowls, you know, as I was going. I was like, guys, don't you care about what N.T. Wright says? And they don't. They don't care about what N.T. Wright says. And so I changed approaches with them. And I said, boys, uh, there's, a, there's a God, right? Yeah, Dad, there's, there's a God. We pray to him every night. We talk about him every morning. There's definitely, there's definitely a God. All right. 
So that God made everything that we see all around us, right? We look out the window, he made the trees, he, he made the streams, he made you know, the mountains and Deacon's looking out the window, we have bird feeder by our breakfast table. And he says, they made the birds. I'm like, yeah, buddy, they made, he made the birds. God, God made all of that, he made the birds too. And he made you, didn't he, buddy? Yeah, he did. He made your brothers, he made your mama, he made everybody that we know. He made all that, yeah, daddy, he made all that. Okay, not only did he make it all, but he has power over everything too, doesn't he? Well, yeah. Like he can send the rain like he did this morning. He can send the sun whenever he wants, cause it to, to rise, cause it to set. He even has power over our lives, doesn't he? And they said, yeah, daddy, he does. And I said, and maybe most importantly, he gets to decide what happens to you forever then because he made you and he's got power over you. He gets to decide not only what happens to you right now, but what is gonna happen to you forever, right? Well, yeah, daddy, he does. Okay. Then the most important question, buddy, that you are ever gonna ask is, what does that God think of me? Am I good with him? Am I good with him? And if I was going to put justification, that big, fancy-sounding word, if I was going to put it as simply as I can put it, justification is when God looks at you or looks at me and says, you're good. We were good. Okay, That's justification. All right. To be fair, that approach kind of landed with my boys, but to be fair, I stole it. I stole it. Okay. Uh, my dad used to say, I've quoted him before in saying this, that all work and no plagiarism makes for dull preachers. And I'll admit, I plagiarize at breakfast in the morning all the time, all right? All the time at morning, all right, okay? That approach actually came from this guy, Jay Gresham Machen. It's not often I read a big quote. I want you to hear this, though. Listen to what he says. Justification by faith is an answer to the greatest personal question ever asked by the human soul. How shall I be right with God? How do I stand in God's sight? With what favor does he look upon me? Now, there are those, I admit, who never raise that question. There are those who are concerned with the question of their standing before men, but never with the question of their standing before God. There are those who are interested in what people say, but not in the question of what God says. Such men, however, are not those who move the world they are apt to go with the current. They are apt to do as others do. They are not the heroes who change the course of the human race. The beginning of true nobility comes when a man or woman ceases to be interested in the judgment of Ben and becomes finally interested in the judgment of God. Hmm. Hmm. And I told my boys at breakfast that morning, I said, listen, listen, buddy. Everything in your life is gonna to try to convince you that what God thinks of you doesn't matter. Everything in your life is gonna to try to tell you that what matters so much more than that is what everybody else thinks of you. And in our modern world, maybe most importantly, what you think of yourself, that's what matters most. And I'll tell you buddies, that is a lie. What matters so much more infinitely more. If there is a God who made everything, controls it all, and will determine your future, what matters infinitely more is what he thinks of you.
Now, the problem is, I am a hopeless self-justifier. I am hopeless in attempting every day to convince myself I'm all good. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know what I'm talking about? Jesus looks at the Pharisees. He says this to him. He said, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. What's he saying? He's saying there's something broken inside of us, a scale that lets us know what's right and what's wrong. And that scale is off. It's out of whack. It's out of balance. And so because my scale is off, I am tempted to think things that are wrong aren't that bad. And I do them. And then once I've done them, the same broken scale inside of me convinces me that the thing I did that was wrong really wasn't that bad. So the thing that's broken inside of me is not only the thing that causes me to mess up, it's also the thing that convinces me when I mess up, it's not a big deal. You've experienced this in your family. If you're married, you know what I'm talking about. You've had a long, hard day and you say something kind of ugly to your wife or to your husband. You just kind of snap at them because you can't snap at anybody else. You can snap at them. And so you snap at them and you say something that you probably know you shouldn't have said. But as soon as you say it, this little voice kicks in and the voice tells you, ah, it's not that big of a deal. She'll get over it. He'll get over it. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, pay attention. The very thing that led you to disrespect the one that God has told you to love and respect above all others is the same thing inside of you that when you do it will tell you it's no big deal, you're all good and lead you not to rectify it and make it right. We are, not just me, we are hopeless self-justifiers because sin, the thing broken inside of us, influences every decision we make and then convinces us those decisions are bad. But look at what Jesus says. Jesus says, your scale is off and God does not see things how you see them. And most importantly, God does not see you how you see you. Okay, so you gotta pause and you gotta say, how does God see me? If that's true, if I cannot trust myself, I gotta know how God sees me. And I think there's two answers to that question. The first is how God sees you apart from Christ Jesus. And the second is how God sees you in Christ Jesus. And the difference between the two of those is the justification you were not able to obtain before. That's the difference. Let me talk about the first, how God sees us apart from Christ. This is what we know to be true. Apart from Christ, this is Romans 3, you're gonna see that up on the screen behind me. Apart from Christ, we're told that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let me, let me explain this in two ways. The first, all have sinned. The idea here is rebellion. That the God who made everything and controls all things has given you instruction and you have gone the other way. The classic example of this is the prophet Jonah. Remember this story? God tells him, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah's like, no, I'm gonna go this way. All right, heads the opposite direction. Okay, that's sin. It's active rebellion against what God desires. But sometimes we try to do what God wants us to do. And that's the second part of this. And we fall short. A visual for this would be like the long jump in track and field. 
And so you got this, this standard that is set. You got an early jumper who runs and just jumps so far. And the whole time there's this judge just standing by the sandpit, watching everybody as they jump and fall short of this mark. And you convince yourself like, I'm gonna pass the mark. And the judge is right there and you're looking at the judge and you're ready and you run down the, the track and you launch off that pad and you fall miles short of the mark you were supposed to reach. And the judge just looks there and shakes his head, falling short falling short. Okay, and we hear that and we think, man, if there's a God who created all things and controls all things, and he sees me as a rebellious failure, I am in trouble. And we say, goodness, Eric, ease up. You know, can't God just kind of look the other way? Can't he just kind of fudge it when we land miles away from the mark in the sand? Can't he just kind of scribble that out and write something else? Can't God just kind of look the other way? Well, I'll tell you, yes, in my case, I wish he would look the other way, but in everybody else's case, I want him to be just and fair. You know what I'm talking about? I don't want him to be an unjust Judge, I want him to be somebody who's fair and we can count on. The other day we were in the semifinals of our Little League baseball tournament with Foster, my middle son. And it's in the last inning, I think, and uh, we are up by two, as I recall, and they've got a couple runners on base. It's the bottom of the last inning. All we gotta do is hold them. We gotta keep them from scoring. So we're out in the field, they're batting, and this little boy on the other team comes up to bat and he hasn't got a hit all game. He hasn't got a hit all game and he comes up to bat. And there's a part of me that wants this little boy to get the hit, to get a hit, but not in the bottom of the last inning when we are only up by two and there's runners on base. I'm praying to the Lord, let this little sweet boy strike out. <laughs> one pitch comes, strike one, strike two, strike three. My heart rate goes down, I'm breathing a sigh of relief and the umpire goes, oh, throw him another one. Uh-oh. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be a, a Christian and a preacher. I'm like, okay, okay. He misses that one. Throw him another one. And I'll never forget how I felt like this was the greatest injustice the world has ever seen. You know what I'm talking about? When someone is judging someone else. We want them to be fair and just and reliable. I mean, this speaks to, you know, the outcries in our world about injustices all around us today. Why do people cry out? Because things are wrong. And if something's wrong, you can't say it's right. You got to make it right. You can't just say it's right. And I think about the Juneteenth holiday tomorrow as we remember the ending of slavery in this country. You know, the haunting specter over American slavery is that for generations, good people said something that was wrong was right instead of making it right. Do you see the difference? I mean, imagine this. Imagine you've heard of those Ponzi scheme, hedge fund millionaires, these guys who, 
who promise a huge return to these widows. And if they'll just give them their, uh, all their money, just say, like, give me your money and it's going to come back to you. And then they steal that money. The, the, those sweet little ladies never see a drop of it, another penny of it. And they just take all their money. Well, if one of those guys was to stand before a judge and he had robbed these sweet little old ladies of millions of dollars. And if he were to stand before the judge and the judge look at him and say, well, probably shouldn't have done that, but don't worry about it. You're all good. We would cry unjust. Those debts must be repaid. That penalty must be served. And so here's what I want you to hear. We don't want a God who is unjust. We want a God we can count on who is faithful and reliable and above all just. But if our God is just and he is, and we are rebellious failures, we are in big trouble. We're in big trouble. Apart from Christ, that is how he sees us. Unjustified, not good. But Paul says here in Acts 13, he says, through Jesus, through Jesus, by faith, we have been forgiven of and freed from that thing inside of us that is broken. And now somehow in Christ, God can rightly say, you're justified. You're all good. Now, this is where number two comes in. I wasn't able to obtain this on my own. I wasn't able to purchase it. I wasn't able to work so hard that I earned it. So if I have it, it must be by what? Grace. And we looked at this that morning with my boys, Romans 3, 23 to 24. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the first part, how God sees us apart from Christ and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, this is not the same as an umpire giving extra pitches to a boy who just struck out. Like I said, that is sloppy injustice. I'm still worked up about it. And this is not the same. This is not the same as a judge looking at somebody who has robbed people of their money and saying, ah, oh, don't worry about it. That would be sloppy injustice. If God can look at those in Christ and say that they are all good and not be lying, if he can say that they are all good in his sight, someone has changed them from wrong to right. Something has changed about them so that their penalty has been served and their debts have been repaid. Otherwise, God could not rightly say that they are now right. But in Christ Jesus, you and I have been changed from wrong to right. And that is grace. And because you and I now stand in that grace, when God the Father, the Heavenly Father, looks at us, he can rightly say, Son, Daughter in you, I am well pleased. Come into your inheritance. This was the point at, at breakfast when the boys, when they were really gone. Okay. So we looked at this. This is Romans 4, 25 through 5, 2. If you're an underliner, you might underline this. Just listen to the beauty of this. He was delivered over to death for our sins. And he was raised to life for our justification. And therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we boast in the hope of the glory of the Lord. The summary is that the gospel, what Christ has done for you, the Father has done through Christ, it is good news for bad people. And you can now come to me, the Father says. You can come to me because we're good. We're good. This is what we believe. This is what we stake our lives on. This is why you're here this morning. This is why you give your life to him in baptism so that you might be forgiven and freed. And the God, the Father, the one who made everything, who controls everything, who will decide your future, will look at you and be able to rightly say, you're good. You're good. You're good. John Bunyan, I'll finish with this. He wrote the uh, Pilgrim's Progress. Anybody ever read the Pilgrim's Progress? Uh, he was a, a wonderful story. There's so much I could say about him. But he tells a story one day. He was, he was walking along and he has this experience. And I want to end with this, and I hope it inspires you. He says this. One day as I was passing in a field, and that too was some dashes on my conscience, fearing that all might not be right, Suddenly, this sentence fell upon my soul. Thy righteousness is in heaven, John. And I thought I saw with the eyes of my soul, Jesus Christ at God's right hand. And there, I say, is my righteousness. So, so that wherever I was, whatever I was doing, God cannot say of me, he lacks my righteousness, for it was right there just before him. And I also saw, moreover, that it was not my, my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor was it my bad frame that made my righteousness worse, for my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And now did my chains fall off of my legs. And indeed, I was loosed from all my afflictions and my irons and my temptations. They fled away from me, and here, therefore, I lived so sweetly, in the peace and grace of God through Christ. Oh, I thought, Christ, Christ. There was nothing but Christ before my eyes. May it be the case for each and every one of you. May there be nothing, nothing but Christ before your eyes. If you desire to be justified, by our Father through Christ Jesus today, to be forgiven and free from your sin. I can baptize you here in this water behind me. I hope you'll come see me. If you desire prayer, I'd love to pray over you. You can come down. Otherwise, let me pray over us in dismissal. God, would you look at each and every one of us as you have promised through the righteousness of your son, Jesus. May you say of each and every one of us that we are your sons and daughters whom you love and in whom you are well-pleased not because of our righteousness, but because of your son, Jesus, in whom we have been justified. We pray in his mighty name. Amen.